Brent. Well, praise God for that inexhaustible grace. Uh, you know, the grace of God is uh, without fathom for us. We cannot measure that. And so we're just going to get set up here to uh, transfer over from uh, one computer to the other for the slides today. Uh, let's see, Burke, you just raise your hand. Let me know when you're ready back there. And if you have your Bibles, please open up to Matthew chapter 26. We'll be looking at verse 47 through 56. Matthew 26, verses 47 through 56. Now, we're going to uh, start a new series today, uh, an Easter series for 2023. Uh, we're going to look at this series in five messages. Uh, today, we're going to look at the arrest of Jesus. Uh, then we're going to, over the next... Uh, Three weeks, the second and third week, we'll look at the trial of Jesus because he has two trials. He has a Hebrew trial and he has a Roman trial. The fourth week, we'll look at his crucifixion and then on Easter Sunday, praise God, we serve a risen Savior. We'll look at his resurrection. But today, let's look at the arrest of Jesus. And here's the big idea for the whole series. And uh, then you can take and apply that to this first message today. We can believe the evangelist's record concerning the arrest, trial, uh, crucifixion, uh, which is death, and resurrection of Jesus. And uh, so I've taken this uh, book, go ahead and flip the slide there, Bert, um, from a book uh, called The Trial of Jesus by Walter Chandler, written in 1925. And uh, so I'm pretty sure the copyright has expired, but I want you to uh, know of that resource. And uh, the nice thing about the edition I have is it's in 14 font type, and so it makes for pretty fast reading. But uh, here are some things that Walter Chandler pointed out about the evangelists. Now, when we say the evangelists, we mean Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, as they give us their record of these events, some people have doubted their sincerity. Some people have doubted their accuracy. Uh, some people have doubted uh, whether these events even took place at all. And so here are some things here, all right? Uh, they were honest and sincere men. They believed that they were telling the truth. So they were not about to uh, create a, a falsehood, all right? Uh, a fable, a myth, a legend, all right? So that's not what they were trying to do. Uh, they were... Uh, trying to lead us to belief in the person of the Lord Jesus. And so they, they believed that they were telling the truth. All right, they were of sound mind and they were eyewitnesses. So if you were to go to a courtroom, um, the lawyers on both sides are going to have vetted the witnesses uh, before they ever get to the witness stand. Sometimes they have a strike and uh, no questions asked, you know, just uh, th that person's not going to be there, or we're, we're just, no, that person's not a credible witness, all right, and they can do that to the jurors too, all right, so there's all of this work that's done in advance, well, uh, they were eyewitnesses, and as eyewitnesses, their testimony is valid, because they're going to share with us what they saw with their own eyes, what they experienced, all right, and uh, they're not crazy. These things actually happen. 
Uh, they were independent historians, but yet they corroborate each other. So they wrote separately. They didn't sit down and say, okay, you take the first part, you take the second part, you take the closing part. Uh, no, they, they each wrote their own independent history, but yet they don't conflict with one another. So their testimony is sure. All right, next slide there, please, Bert. Uh, their testimony is in full conformity with human experience. All right, so it's not like the History Channel, folks, all right, where you get all kinds of, of whacked out things, ancient aliens, you know, and that the pyramids conducted electricity and bolts from outer space came down and filled the pyramids and all that. No, 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 that's, it's just not that kind of stuff. So this fits within the realm of, of human experience and it, it's logical, conforms with that. All right, so their testimony then uh, coincides accurately with social, religious, and historical circumstances of their time. If um, I were to write a history about George Washington driving a Maserati, you might begin to question my accuracy and uh, my historical timeline. Well, there's not wild or crazy things in the gospel narratives that make it wrong and, and falsified, all right? So, uh, fits all within the circumstances of their time, that time period. And then we have a record of fact with which we can discuss the arrest, trial, death, uh, and then resurrection of Jesus. All right, next slide there, Bert. All right, so let's go to Matthew chapter 26 now. And uh, what we're going to see is the arrest of Jesus today was an illegal arrest. So let's begin reading in verse 47. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude, with swords and clubs from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whosoever I shall kiss, that same is he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master! And kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, why art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of those who was with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew a sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Then Jesus said unto him, Put up again thy sword into its place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou uh, that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the scripture be fulfilled, that thus it must be? Verse 55. In that same hour Jesus said to the multitudes, Are ye come out as against a thief with swords and clubs? To take me? I sit daily with you, teaching in the temple, and ye laid no hold of me. But all of this was done, that the scripture of the prophets might be fulfilled. These are all, then all the disciples forsook him and fled. So from a human perspective, it's an illegal arrest, and we'll share those reasons in just a moment. But from the divine perspective, what do you have at verse 54 and verse 56? You have the sovereignty of God. All of this was done that the scripture might be fulfilled. So 
the way that the arrest of Jesus happened happened the way that the scriptures said it would be. We'll see that the trial of Jesus happened the way that the scriptures said it would be. The death of Jesus happened the way that the scriptures said it would be. The resurrection of Jesus, praise God, uh, would be the way that the scriptures said that the Holy One would not see or suffer corruption. And so we find that God is in control in all of these chaotic events. All right, so his arrest took place at night, which is against the law of Moses. So let's take uh, a couple of uh, passages of Scripture here. Let's go to the Gospel of John. So you might want to put a ribbon here or your bulletin. Go over to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. And uh, we're going to look at the 13th chapter and also the, the 18th chapter. Beginning with uh, John chapter 12 uh, through the end of the Gospel of John, you have really the record of one week. And most of this is uh, material of one night of the life of our Lord. And so that's what we have here beginning in verse 13 is the last Passover meal that Jesus is celebrating uh, with his disciples. And this is where he institutes what we practice as the Lord's table. But notice with me here in chapter 13 and um, verse 30, it says, he then having received the sop went out immediately and it was what? Night. So the Passover meal started at sundown and as the meal went on for hours uh, then it was definitely night and Judas went out at night to go find the chief priests and tell them I know where Jesus is going to be now previous to this all right uh, he had betrayed the Lord for 30 pieces of silver but let's go over to the 18th chapter now because chapter 13 all the way through chapter 18 is all this same night, just hours of, you know, in a day, but we have lots of scripture material. Beginning in verse 3, Judas then, for having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, cometh to them with lanterns and torches and weapons. So it was nighttime. Now, uh, how many of you would like City Hall or the County Board of Supervisors to conduct business, say starting at 10 o'clock at night and going until 2 o'clock in the morning. How many of you would stay up for that? You see, so official business is supposed to be done, quote, during business hours so that people can be present. And in the arrest of Jesus, you were not supposed to, according to the Old Testament, arrest a person at night and in secret. But yet this is when Jesus was arrested and it was done uh, secretly. All right, so second point. Uh, his arrest was effected or brought into effect uh, through the agency of a traitor and an informer. So let's go to the Gospel of Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. Uh, verses 10 and 11. And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priests to betray him unto them. 
And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. So here, just a few days uh, before uh, the Passover, Judas Iscariot uh, goes into the chief priests, uh, to the religious leaders. Now, uh, the scribes are also mentioned here. This is uh, the, the legal body called the Sanhedrin, the Council of Seventy that governed the, the affairs of Israel. And he betrays Jesus and he receives money from them and then from that moment on, he's looking for the convenient time to run back to them and say, he's going to be here at this time and this location, and so then you can go arrest him. So, now in your mind, when you hear this arrangement, does that sound moral or legal to you? No, all right? So, according to the Old Testament, you could not uh, receive the testimony or to receive even an accusation of someone of Judas's character against another person. But yet, they willingly plan this in advance. So, then the last point there is this. His arrest was not to make for the purpose of conducting a legal trial. Let's go over to John chapter 11, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. Here's what's going on in the, the mind of the religious leaders. Um, in John chapter 11, uh, let's pick it up. In verse 50, this is kind of the council that they're taking together. Verse 47, uh, then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, what do we for this man doeth many miracles? So as they look at Jesus, they feel politically threatened. This man is gaining too much influence. This man is gaining too much power in the nation. What are we going to do about this? And so they're scared. They, they feel threatened about this. So then we, we come down and we continue reading. Um, verse 53. Then from that day forth they took counsel together to do what? Put him to death. So why have a trial when you already know the verdict? Are you following? Are you, are you seeing this? So all of this, even his arrest, is illegal. Um, then the, the whole concept here, if you look up here, I think it's verse 50, yeah, verse 57, let's go down there. Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a commandment that if any man knew where he were, he should show it that they might do what? Might take him, all right? So it was well known. It was kind of their little decree that they had published. If there's any citizen in Jerusalem that knows where Jesus is, let us know so we can go and take him, so we can arrest him. And so they were really glad when Judas came forward and said, hey, for a small price, I'll tell you where Jesus is going to be. 
And so then they went and arrested Jesus. And so his arrest was illegal on these three grounds, all right? Um, number one, it was just a sham uh, that he was even arrested. It was just purely out of jealousy. There was no crime. There was nothing that he had done wrong. They were just jealous of Jesus, and they felt politically threatened, all right? So that's what you see in verse 47. Um, so then they received the testimony uh, of a liar, of a traitor. Uh, they also did this at night when the crowds would not be there to restrain them or to cause an uproar. So they tried to do this in secret. So this is definitely a miscarriage of justice. Uh, that this is not really a legal arrest at all. And so you can read the parallel accounts. Um, uh, my favorite account is in the Gospel of Luke, where they come out uh, to arrest Jesus, and he says, well, who are you looking for? Whom do you seek? And they say, Jesus is Nazareth. And he said, I am he. And when he said that, they actually step backwards and they fall. All right. And um, so then he asked them again, who are you looking for? Well, Jesus of Nazareth. Well, I'm him, but you're going to let my disciples go that scripture may be fulfilled. And so let's then just take just a few minutes. Uh, we don't have a lot of material here today. Uh, Burke, next slide, please. Um, supplying the arrest of Jesus to your life, all right? So your rejection of Jesus, if you are rejecting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, is something that he takes personal. So let's go back and look at one of the prophecies of Judas betraying Jesus. Let's go to Psalm uh, 41 and verse 9. Psalm 41, verse 9. Now, David is writing this psalm, and David has a friend that betrays him during his lifetime, but God uses that event in David's life to say, this is going to happen to David's son, the Messiah, as well. And so in verse 9, it says, Yea, my own familiar friend in whom I have trusted, who did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. So did Jesus entrust Judas. What, what was the official capacity that Judas had? He was the treasurer, right? Um, did Judas eat the bread of the Lord? Yeah, whoever dips the sop, it, the same as he is the one that betrays me. And then he went out and, and betrayed him. Uh, did Judas raise up against Jesus? Yeah, absolutely. And so then when he comes to the garden with the temple soldiers and the Roman soldiers, what was the prearranged signal so that they would know who Jesus is? The kiss on each cheek. And Jesus said to Judas, Judas, do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? I mean, Judas, betrayal is pretty low. 
but really this low, Judas? Judas did have his own free will in all of this. And so it was very much a personal insult and very personal to Jesus. Do you think that Jesus loved Judas? Absolutely. And had Judas come to repentance? I think Jesus would have even forgiven him. Now we know Judas didn't come to repentance, but it was very personal. Now, let's go back to the Luke chapter 22, uh, verse 48. Luke twenty-two forty-eight. 48. This is what I was referencing. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss. You know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's not just the extent of humanity that God loved, but God loves you individually. Because Jesus said, whosoever will may come. So you have a, if you're, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have a standing invitation from Jesus. Because he loves you. He loves you personally, intensely. You have a standing invitation to put your trust in him, to believe on him. And he will be grieved, brokenhearted, if you reject him. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and remission of sin. You can break the heart of God. He will take it with very personal grief. God is not some sadistic, pain-loving God that just loves to throw people into hell. That's not who he is. God loves you as an individual. And so your rejection of Jesus then is very personal. All right, light and darkness make no difference to God. And so uh, we saw the, the passage there in John chapter uh, 18 where they came out at, at dark and saw him. I know you're having scripture uh, trouble reading that scripture, but that was John 18.3. But let's go over to Psalm 139, verse 12. Psalm 139, verse Psalm 139, verse 12, Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Now, I know this is not what the passage is about the arrest of Jesus is teaching as its main point, but it is an application. 
why did the religious leaders do this at night? To try to conceal their activities, their, their sin, right? They may have been able to hide the arrests from the people during the night, but they didn't hide it from Almighty God. I think the only thing that that did was make their sin all the more grievous. And this is something that we need to remember just as an application as Christians. Um, that if we cover our sin, we're not going to prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes his sin will prosper. So don't think that you're going to cover, you're going to hide from God, even if you do it in secret and in darkness, because God sees it, and all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to deal, and so as we look at this Easter series, we realize that Jesus Christ died to pay for our sins. All of your sin record was exposed to God. He knows what it is. But the beautiful thing about it is that he takes that handwriting that was against us, that list of our sins, and nailing them to his cross, he blots it out so that it is no more. But let's remember that the darkness and the, and the light uh, are alike unto God. Nothing hides from him. All right. Jesus will not violate your prejudice. All right, now look at this passage in Luke chapter 22. A very powerful phrase is, is mentioned here, Luke chapter 22. All right, beginning uh, in verse 53, and then we're going to go down to, uh, what is it? 67 and 68. All right, Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 53. When I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hands against me. Now look at this next phrase. But this is your hour and the what? Power of darkness. All right. You want to have it this way? You're jealous of me? You think you're going to be in control? Well, here's one hour. But I want you to know something very important about this hour. Hell has a grip on you. Power of the devil had entered Judas. It was the power of the devil working in the hearts of men to hate their Messiah. It was gripping them. And so now let's go down to verses 67 and 68. Art thou the Christ? Tell us. And he said unto them, If I tell you what? You will not believe. They have a bias, they have a prejudice. He can preach truth. He can tell them as it is. But they're determined not to believe. 
And if I also ask you, will you not answer me, nor let me go? Hereafter you shall see the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. So he was, all through this, he was pointing out their responsibility for their actions. And then in making such statements and answering such questions, he's probing them. Will you repent of your bias? Will you repent of your, of your prejudice? Because I'm not going to force you to change your prejudice. But you should know this. The power of darkness has got its grip on your life. Here's the warning for any person watching online or that watches the replay. And maybe there's some in the room today. Your unbelief is the power of darkness that's got a grip on your life. The scripture calls it a veil of darkness, a veil of blindness over your understanding, lest you should believe the light of the gospel. So consider carefully your prejudice, your bias. Repent of that. Because Christ wants us to worship him and to love him freely. All right, the last one. His rest was according to the Bible. So this is the Matthew chapter 26, verses 54 and 56. And with this, we close. But how then shall be the scripture be fulfilled, that thus it must be? That's 54. Verse 56. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. So Peter, thinking that the situation is all out of hand, pulls his sword out and starts swinging and chopping. And he chops off the ear of Malchus, the servant of the high priest. Jesus says, Peter, put your sword away. And he picks up the ear and he he heals the, the servant of the high priest. But then Jesus makes this comment, I think, to his disciples. Hey, little band of disciples, do you not think that I could pray to my Father in heaven right now and he could send 12 legions of angels? All right? So if you look at that and you put it in the Roman terms, a legion was 6,000, 72,000 angels, right? We sing the song, he could have called 10,000 angels, but he called, could have called tens of, tens of thousands of angels to his rescue. So a sovereign God is submitting himself to his Father's will. And this arrest, though so illegal, so prejudiced, biased, unjust, done secretly, everything about it is wrong, but yet, for your sake and for my sake, he dies. And we'll see that uh, in a few weeks, but then looking at his trial 
and we will see that the just dies for the unjust. But he could have done all of that. He, he could have looked for the out. But instead, he looked to conformity to the Scripture in his life, that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. And of course, in that was his protection of the twelve. Um, in that was God's eternal plan in the securing of your salvation and my salvation. So, we can believe. And the big idea, I think we've got that last slide there, Burke. The big idea is that we can believe uh, the, the record of the evangelists in the arrest, the trial, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.